Welcome back to the Film Review Shack. He's Daniel. And he's Darian. This week, things are going to look a little differently. Daniel could not attend this week's podcast, so I have a couple guests that are going to help me out. This will be a two-part episode, each part containing of two film reviews. First, my friend Emma and I are going to review Hairspray and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And for the second part, my friend Mitchell and I are going to review Jumanji and Zathura. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with our first review. First up, we are going to talk about Hairspray. Hairspray is a 2007 movie musical directed by Adam Shankman. The film had a budget of $75 million and made $202 million at the box office. Emma, why don't you start us off and talk a little bit about the acting within Hairspray? We were going to talk about the characters first, and I felt like it was really important to talk about John Travolta's character as Edna Turnblad. I think that would be one of Travolta's um, definitely most confusing roles, I think, in his career. I think that he played her really well and like got the character across. I just feel like to this day that was just a weird career choice for Travolta, but I felt like he was up for the challenge, and I felt like this nod to John Waters' 1988 version of the film where Edna was played by a drag queen was important. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it was a very interesting role to see him in. Of course, we've seen him in musicals before. It still wasn't a typical role that he would play, and I'm not a huge fan of the performance, but I think he did what he needed to do as far as representing the character goes, especially when you talk about how he portrayed a character from the past version of the film. I also think um, Nikki Belonsky, um, who played Tracy, was a perfect cast, in my opinion. I think she fit her character perfectly. Um, her voice was amazing and able to fit the song Good Morning Baltimore, which has very intense vocals and I think that she instantly made the audience love her. Yeah, we've talked about roles in the past that really seem tailored to fit the actor's range and personality and I think this is a prime example for that. And of course, we have to talk about Zac Efron, who played the love interest. He, of course, can play um, the love interest character. We have seen that several times, but I also think that Zac Efron has shown that he can play other roles, not just a musical role. But as a 2000s baby, I'm very happy to see Zac Efron sing and play a love interest. So I loved it. Yeah, I don't have the same level of interest for him being a love interest, but he has a very diverse role and he's someone that changes pretty frequently throughout the film. Uh, In the beginning and into the middle of the movie he is just an individual who's living in the times and he's got no problem with that he just fits in and then when tracy starts to push for change and diversity and inclusion we see him adapt and it just makes it seem like he is a very impressionable character yeah i agree he definitely had like one of the most character developments throughout that movie for sure Okay, now to get into the screenplay of the film. Right from the beginning, I like the comedy they use in the film, and specifically the comedy that comes with the first song of the film. Uh, She is so cheerful singing through the street, but everything around her is not positive to say the least, and it's pretty ironic and funny. And to add to the comedy aspect of the whole film, they've got little jokes that are present in the screenplay that give the audience a little extra something to enjoy while watching. It also shows you a lot about Tracy, you know, and where she is, where the setting is, you know, she's dancing around Baltimore. Baltimore, which is not exactly the happiest place on earth. So I think it's kind of fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think in the song Without Love, I liked this song specifically because I liked how they used this moment of bringing all of our characters' storylines back together. Um, During this song, it included most of the leading cast, and each of our characters had their own hurdles and own things they were going through, battling, developing throughout the movie. So I liked that we saw them all end in the same place by the end of that song. 
Yeah, I totally agree. In the film, you've got quite a diverse set of characters, and it's interesting to see this thing that connects them all, regardless of how different everyone is. It makes it a lot greater to see that. Now, to get into the cinematography, I love the establishing shot right from the beginning. Uh, it shows all the scenery of Baltimore, which, I mean, isn't too nice, but I think it gives it a unique feel because it's not a location that you see a lot of film shot in, and it just shows how the circumstance of the film might be lower scale to that of a typical film. For sure. I specifically like the scenes that they were showing on live television for their dance show or whatever. So they would show it through the camera as like, that's what's showing on their TV show. And I thought that that specifically just showed us a lot about the characters and like how they are and how they would like to appear on screen, especially Brittany Snow's character, who is, I guess, kind of the antagonist of the story, Amber. You see her all the time pushing to be at the front, to be in the camera and the spotlight. And I think that just shows you a lot about her character. Yeah, to touch on how you mentioned the shots that show the live viewing of the television broadcast, I like how it represents what looks like to be camera work of the times. Like, obviously, it's not like what your news would look like in nowadays age. And it really gave it a 60s feel with the circumstances on the screen. You got the tall hair. You got everything. And it's cool to see that for someone that wouldn't have lived through that, of course. I think the most pivotal use of their production design was during the Hey Mama, Welcome to the 60s. You see Tracy and her mom, Edna, running through the streets of Baltimore. And it's kind of an overcoming moment and a changing moment for Edna because she's been locked in her house for so long, being afraid of what the world will view her as and her place as a woman and all of that stuff. And Tracy brings her through the streets and shows her what life is like now. And I think it's a very important moment for Edna's character. And even just, you know, turning on the TV before they even left the house and seeing black women dancing on the screen, I think that was even just a shock, you know, just someone who would be stuck in their house for so long. So I thought that was an important song. I totally agree. And to touch on the sequence you mentioned, it's quite a detailed set. And there's a lot of variety in the set as far as location goes. Of course, it's all in one town, but you're kind of moving through blocks or streets or whatever you want to call it. And it adds to the experience we see that is portrayed by John Travolta's character. And with that, it passes off to the audience and you feel how she is feeling. Yeah, moving on to the wardrobe. I think that also kind of touched on the, um, you know, the scenes where they're on TV and stuff. But I think that, you know, obviously with the title being Hairspray, they I think they did a good job showing like what the hairstyles were like and how people dressed and just kind of how that is how it was back then. And I think they had the whole sequence of just them doing their hair and spraying hairspray everywhere. And I think that was cool. <laughs> I think the biggest thing for me in regards to the wardrobe is I like how there's separation. Um, in the beginning of the film, all the TV personalities, everyone you see on the television, are in fancy suits, fancy dresses, and everyone that are like Tracy is in what you might call ordinary clothes, and it is a nod to some of the major themes of the film, such as status and diversity. Um, and then towards the end of the film, when Tracy becomes more involved with TV and some of the characters there, they start to wear very similar clothes, and they all come together through that as well. And such a big change from the beginning of the film. For sure. Especially you can see that in Edna's clothing, for sure. You know, she wears the housewife clothing, you know, and the long sleeves. And then she kind of, even when her and Tracy go shopping and they go and get the big sequin dresses. And it's kind of, it's a turning point for sure. They show it a lot in clothes. Yeah, she's definitely building up to that point at the end of the film through events like that. Like when they go shopping, when they're out of the house, that all comes together for a big part at the end. I thought for the soundtrack, we should just choose our favorite songs, top three favorite songs from the movie, explain why we like those. So my favorite song is Without Love, 
I can sing it from front to back. It's my favorite song. It's the most catchy. And I like all how every character got a part in it. And I think it, again, it showed all the characters coming together at the end. And it was like kind of the theme. Yeah, I can't sing it from front to end, but it still is memorable to me. Um, same reason you discussed. It's something that brings the characters all together, like I mentioned before. And I think it stands it above all the rest. So my second one, I did I Can Hear the Bells because I also feel like that is a super catchy song. Tracy sings it. It's one of the first songs that she sings. I don't think it's, I think it's right after Good Morning Baltimore, but it's just a good establishing one for the character. I feel like it tells you a lot about Tracy and where she's at and her big crush on Link. And you know, I think it's just a cute song and I like it. Yeah, and I think it plays so well to story and the inciting incident. It's what she's singing and what she's going through when she's getting put through these events. So she wants to be on television. She wants to progress in terms of that and a great song that tells that story. Um, I think my second favorite song was I Know Where I've Been. It's a song where Queen Latifah singing. She's got great vocals throughout it. So there's that to begin with. And then it's also a big song in progressing a story as well. It's surrounding, protesting and everything and so powerful. And I think it's a great number that comes in towards the end of the film. That was my number three choice as well. So I'm with you. I agree with everything. I think it was just a great overall song. It was perfect resembling the character and everything that she's been through and the black community has been through. I think it was just overall a very powerful song. Yeah, and for my third favorite song was the song in the opening scene of the film, which is Good Morning Baltimore. I think similar to where I Can Hear the Bells plays to the inciting incident, Good Morning Baltimore plays to the opening of the scene and the whole mood and what that's going to be like. And I love when a song can tell a story like that and you kind of know how things are going to go for the rest of the film. I think that's fair. I think it's also one of the most memorable songs, I would say, from that musical. Like, I feel like when most people think of Hairspray, they think of Good Morning Baltimore. It was a perfect establishing song. For sure. And yeah, I think just to wrap it up, I guess, I just feel that Hairspray is an important piece to the black movement. It's surprising because that's a musical and you wouldn't expect that when you're watching it but I think it oddly teaches us all not to judge a book by its cover and it shows us through songs and costumes and dance and it's educational in the way that it teaches us about the social norms back then and just how things were taught in the black community and black people and even in our new day and age it's important to consider the social construction and racism in our everyday lives yeah i've actually never seen hairspray i never knew what it was about so i was shocked to learn that there was this whole other side to the film that was being added i don't love the film it wasn't great personally but you can't ignore what that stands for in this film and in real life and so that was a great piece for everybody to add to that film now something that we do on the show every week is we give our film a rating out of 10 what would you give this film out of 10 today I think in terms of like other musicals, I don't think it's like the best musical. So I think if I'm comparing it on a scale for musicals, I would say it's like maybe like a seven, a 7.4. Okay, 7.4. I think I would have to give it a six as far as musicals overall. Not one of my most enjoyable films to watch, but there's something in it for everybody. So I'll give it that at least. Okay, well, that was our review of Hairspray. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we will talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Stay tuned. And we're back. Now we're going to talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show is a 1975 musical horror film directed by Jim Sharman. The film had a budget of $1.4 million and made $226 million at the box office. Quite a turn of profit. Okay, to dive into the acting. One thing that I quite enjoyed that plays a couple times throughout the film is them breaking the fourth wall. Uh, It showed quite frequently and... 
I find when they do it, there is always a certain expression on their face, and that helps to engage with the audience. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's serious, but it always adds something, that expression that they give, and it resonates with for the audience. But the first actor I'm going to talk about is Tim Curry. I think he does not hold anything back when it comes to this role and this performance. He really dives in and gives an excellent performance. He's also an amazing singer, which I didn't know, and it makes for some entertaining songs and vocals that he provides during those. Yeah, I think it's also important to point out that Tim Curry just stumbled upon this role by running into the scriptwriter Richard O'Brien at the gym one day. This being one of Curry's most memorable characters, it's surprising that the role wasn't specifically written for him or specifically written for anybody. Um, Curry also mentioned that he found the voice for Frankfurt um, when he was on the bus and he heard a woman in the back speaking a very posh British and he decided to try to mock this posh British and also kind of the sound of his mother's voice over the the phone because I guess she had a very intense voice when she called him over the phone. So he tried to mix those two voices and I thought that was kind of funny. That's interesting. And to touch on what we talked about in the last review uh, and roles being tailored for individuals, I'm pretty shocked to find out that it wasn't made for him because he does it so well and I couldn't picture anyone else doing that at all. Now for Susan Sarandon and Barry Boswick, Brad and Janet, I think these two have a very good joint performance for me. They have diverse personalities, and so it's really cool dynamic to see how they come together. On the one side of it, you have Janet, who is terrified at the beginning of the situation, and it reaches a peak when you get to the castle, and then she becomes more adjusted to the circumstances and fits in. And then on the other side of it, you have Brad, who is just there for one purpose, for the phone call, but then he becomes gradually more angry as the situation builds up in the tension. And then similar to Janet, he also becomes more adjusted to the circumstances of the film. And with all of that said, it is cool to watch the two of them side by side like that. They're two characters that are faced with the same situation and how they deal with it in their own way. Yeah, I agree. I think they were really well balanced together. I think they perfectly played off of each other. And I think seeing them change and adapt into the kind of the madness of the castle was interesting. Just watching them both deal with that in their own kind of way. Yeah, definitely. Another actor that I want to talk about is Meatloaf, who plays Eddie. Um, Another actor that's pretty well known for appearing in cult classic movies. And surely he's not the lead actor or the most important in this film, but I think he gives something to the film, similar in a way where he gives something to other cult classic films like Fight Club. He's a good piece of the film for the audience to watch for. Absolutely. I think Eddie's character is oddly one of my favorite ones. Um, He's maybe in the film for like maybe 10 minutes, but I felt like he gave a really last impression on the audience and his character was important for advancing the plot and for us to learn more about the the leading characters. Yeah, he kind of played as a piece for the characters to respond to these actions happening and it brings out a lot of actions in Frankenfurter and some of the other characters as well to see how they respond to the madness that is what's happening at the castle. Now, to get into the screenplay. Again, the inciting incident is something that plays a huge part in this film and I quite enjoyed how it's clearly laid out and it helps to make the audience more engaged when it's put right in front of you and you don't have to sit and wait and try and figure out what it is. And I also like how it's something done so simply, yet it's so unique and you don't see a lot of filmmakers do it this way. That being the way of introducing it with the narration. Absolutely. I think it also kind of helps build suspense that way because you know it's coming, but it's like not coming yet. And it's just, I think it helps build suspense a little bit. Yeah, and it suggests that, of course, we're watching a movie within a movie. And I think that was also a big part of seeing it uh, cut from the story and then back to the narrator who's actually shown on screen uh, at various times throughout the film. 
I really liked the narration. I think it was important for the structure of the film and for keeping the audience engaged. I felt like people can get lost in that movie because there's so much going on and so much madness and so much going on with each of the characters. I think it was really important for the narrator to just come back in and be like, hi, this is the important stuff that's been going on, you know, just to keep you following through the plot a little bit more clear. Yeah, definitely. Now, for the cinematography, one thing that I like that plays throughout is you've kind of got this low-budget horror film feel to it. There were some camera shots that were selected that really gave the feel of it, uh, specifically from the 70s when I think of movies like Texas Chainsaw or early works from Wes Craven. There were some shots where the camera cuts back and forth and then slowly zooms in towards a character's face, and it's something you don't see a lot. It's pretty strange, and I think it was good to fit the horror aspect of the film because it is a genre of it, but it's not within the story, it's not within the acting, so these small things are really making it into a partial horror film. And I, I think the lighting was also really key in this movie. I think that um, it really helped explain a lot of the mood and how everyone was feeling, and I think a, a really good example of that would be when Frankenfurter finally did create his monster and we saw all the colors and the flashing and the lights it was almost overwhelming to the audience and it was good because it made you feel like you were in there with them and it was like you were feeling that overwhelming feeling that they were feeling yeah I agree there was quite a few spots that had great lighting I think one for me was how it fits the mood and with that was uh, when they got the flat tire and they break down by the side of the road extremely dark of course it happened to happen at nighttime and it just plays to the mood of what's happening on the screen it's pretty dark it's pretty unfortunate and it just gets more progressive with the story from that point now probably my favorite part of the film is the production design i quite enjoy how a fair amount of the shots are actually set in what looks like a broadway or even a classic movie theater most musical films aren't done like that and it was a cool nod to the traditional broadway musical scene I liked how the movie used various locations. Um, I like how despite the majority of the film being set in one castle, it has a lot of different set designs and very different looking styles of rooms. It's impressive that they found a way to be unique while leaving the impression that it's still all in one building. Yeah, 100%. Uh, another thing I liked about it is the interesting looking sets. There were some shots in the movie, mostly upstairs when you're in the lab, that gave me a slight feel of a Stanley Kubrick set design. Uh, there was a wide variety of colors and shots used to display it, and I think that's why it reminded me so much of his work. And I think another thing we should talk about is the wardrobe um i think my favorite example of what they did with the wardrobe was brad and janet's character they are super easily detectable in this movie since they are dressed more casually than the rest of the characters we meet in the hotel and i like how they showed the progression throughout the movie in brad and janet's clothing yeah I can see that. For me, right from the opening scene where they're at the church for the wedding, uh, there's some variance in the character's wardrobe. Everyone seems to be dressed in white suits and dresses, you know, traditional to a wedding kind of-ish. Except for Tim Curry's character and a few others that end up being in the mansion down the line from the story. And I think that's a great way to already separate the characters right from the get-go. True. Gives us the impression that Tim Curry's character is like the character that we need to pay attention to, for sure. So I think in the score and soundtrack, I personally really liked that a lot of the songs used spoken words and were more part of the scene rather than it being the scene, then the song, then back to the scene. I think it kind of made me feel like I was more watching a musical. And, you know, because in the musical, I feel like there's song going on while that plot is still advancing. Whereas I and I kind of felt like that way watching Rocky Horror, whereas I feel like in other musicals, even like Hairspray, it's very much like this is the song and then this is the, the plot. 
Yeah, totally. Uh, even right from the song that's playing during the opening, the lyrics are doing a great job at describing what's happening on the screen, and it's a great tool to help use the story actively throughout the film. Now, to talk about my favorite song of the film, it's gotta be the Time Warp for me. It's slightly got a rock and roll feel to it, and it's a pretty electric song. Uh, and it also plays a couple different times throughout the film, and I think it's the only song that does. So it almost cements itself as a theme song for the film. Definitely the most memorable song from the movie, for sure. I think my personal favorite is Damn It, Janet, just because I like the song. It's kind of catchy, and I think that it really sets the tone for our Janet and Brad, who are main characters, you know? I think it kind of sets them and shows their differences and everything in that song. Yeah, I think it's another great example of a song that helps tell a story really well. Overall, I think it was a pretty well put together movie. I like how there's so many genres combined into one film. Of course, it's a musical, but you've got traces of classic horror movies like Frankenstein and that science fiction a little bit piece to the end, and all the while being a cult classic at the end of the day. Absolutely. I think that this movie represents more than it lets on from its first watch. Um, I think Frankenfurt is a really important character and was one of the first characters to engage with a man and a woman on screen which helps embrace gender fluidity and sexuality and i think that that was a really important statement at that time it was one of the first movies that did that and i think that that's cool yeah like we talked about in the last film even if you're not a fan of the film there's pieces and themes that they add to the film that should be there for everybody to watch and appreciate now i'm gonna start with the rating for this film i think i'm gonna go with a seven today I really like this movie. It's one of my favorites. It's like a comfort movie for me. I think that it's kind of weird. <laughs> and I think yeah. that it's kind of a strange movie. It's not necessarily like classic kind of movie, but I don't know. I think I want to give it like a nine. Well, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, so. Well, that wraps things up for today. Thanks for tuning in. Come back every week for a new episode of the Film Review Shack. Signing out. I'm Daniel. I'm Darian. And we are the, the Film, Film Review Shack. Review Shack.